the gist of the context of my question, but obviously I don't mean how did we get to this spot in this building here today. I mean, how did we get here with the moral climate of the world that we are now living in? I, I don't know, and some of you that are older than me, maybe you can answer this and disappoint me. I think maybe it started with us, but probably not because there's nothing new under the sun. But when I was a teenager, it was the common thing for us to say when something was really good, really neat, really cool, man, that is bad. That's a bad car. That's a that that's bad, man. That's that's bad. I I don't necessarily think that that is exactly what Isaiah was referring to. Although I will tell you I'm not sure that that's as innocent as we make it out to be. Why call something that's so good and so great? Why, why call it bad when you can call it good and when you can call it great? But obviously the depth of what Isaiah was referring to in this verse was not simply just some teenagers and the, the language that they use to kind of make them sound again, eighties word cool. It was much different than that. How, how did we get here? How did we get here that if you stand up for the life of an unborn child, you are evil? How did we get here that if you, if you support the life of an unborn child that, that you are evil? How did we get here? How did we get to this point that what was at one point considered evil? It's not that it's just become acceptable. That, that's one thing. But it's even gone beyond that where it is condone, not just condoned, but beyond that it is endorsed. How did we get there? You see what, what, and I realize a lot of denominations today are changing. I, I saw and I, I don't believe uh, I, I think, you know, we always give the tabloids and the checkout line at the grocery store a bad rap. I'm not really sure that's a fair thing to just stick them in that category. I'm not really sure how much we read today we can truly believe. And you may see otherwise, feel otherwise, but I, I just, everybody has a, has a way of twisting what you say based on your perceptions, your feelings, your attitude. I, I, you may, some of you here probably prefer CNN and some of you probably prefer Fox News and whatever. It, it, they all got their twist. And so I, I, I don't know, but I, I read where there, where there was supposedly a, a pastor of another denomination who is, who is quoted as just recently telling us that we can't really trust the Bible. 
how how did we get here? How how did we get to that point? And there are things that if you're a guest today, I, I'm not going to get all into it, but there are some things that as apostolics we stand for, we believe in, we believe firmly that there is sin and that sin is sin. Sin was sin, sin is sin, and sin will be sin. Call it whatever you want to call it. The Bible calls it sin, and the Bible trumps any terminology that we may come up with. The Bible says heaven and earth is going to pass away, but the Word of God will not pass away. And 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 so now there are things that we... As, as apostolics stand for that we are, we are labeled unkind names for, that there are people sitting in this room that are old enough that you can remember when it wasn't a religious thing to be opposed to those things, that our actual, our society, our culture stood against those things. We, we now are labeled as extremists and religious fundamentalists and judgmental and whatever for things we still hold out believing in that, that, that my grandmother who is about to turn 90 years old when she was my age and younger, that was the way the, that our culture felt about things. But now, not only has our culture switched and embraced so many things, but even now, the church is changing what it believes and what it thinks the Word of God says and modifying and altering it. There is no cut option for the Word of God. You do not cut and paste or cut and cop, cut and get rid of what you don't like. And, and Isaiah says there, hold on, those of you that call evil good, and then you call good evil, and you, and you put darkness for light and light for darkness, and you replace bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You reach the point where some of the most popular video games today are games in which you are purposefully breaking laws. That's the game. That, that, that's the, that's the goal of the game is, is you are breaking laws. And so all of that becomes common to us. And what we used to consider evil, we now call good. What we used to think of as being bitter is now considered sweet. How, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where a nation that on all of our currency is the, is the statement, in God we trust? How did we get to the point now that if you trust in God, you are, you are, there's something wrong with you. If you put your faith in God, if you stand upon this book as the un, as the eternal, unchanging, forever settled word of God, that you are now some kind of crazy. How did we get here? I've come to tell you today, I believe under the direction of the Spirit of the Lord, that there really is an explanation 
You may sit today and think, how did we get to this point? I, I don't understand how, but I can tell you there is a clear explanation of how we got here. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, gives us one of the clearest explanations of how it is we got to the point where we call good evil and evil good, where we now look at what is sweet and consider it to be bitter, and and we now look at what is bitter and consider that to be sweet. Paul tells us exactly how you get to that place. For the sake of time, I'm going to read to you just mostly from the New Living Translation. There'll be a couple of verses in which I'll read a couple of other translations. I I do that simply because it puts it in a little more understandable language that we uh, understand today a little bit better perhaps than some of the way the King James says things. And so Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start reading with verse number 1, and it says this, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son Jesus. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to you all in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy plate, holy people, may God our Father and our and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, in, in the New Living Translation, and I don't know if it's showing up there on the screen or not, but uh, it, it, it'll give you some headings for sections in the chapter. And the heading for this next section, starting with verse number 8, is God's good news. So Paul goes on to say, let me first... Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you in your needs and prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have 
a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. What Paul is saying there and what that means for us is the focus of the church is not your just, is not your preferred little group. The focus of the church should not people be people just that can fit into your clique. Paul said, I reach those that are like me, but I'm also going to reach those that are not like me. I I reach those that I can relate to, but I'm also going to reach those that I don't relate to. And part of the reason for that is when you get to heaven, there's not going to be a, a, a part of heaven that's for those that got degrees and those that never finished school. There's not going to be those that had millions of dollars in the bank and then those that had nothing to their name. There's not going to be a black heaven, a white heaven, a yellow heaven, a red heaven. There, There's not going to be any of those things. There's going to be one heaven. We are all going to be in the same heaven no matter where you were born, no matter what your upbringing was, no matter what kind of life you live, we're all going to go to the same heaven. And if we're all going to go to the same heaven, we might as well get a taste of that in the church now. I believe that a church should be reflective of the community that it's in. If you're in a community that is only one single culture, okay. And there are a few remote places where that's kind of like that. But most places, that's not the case. That was really not in the notes, but it's too good to pass up. I'll read that verse again. I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I was hoping for a few more amens on that one. Anybody feel like Paul? Or rewind the tape. Take two. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Why? Why am I not ashamed? Because it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So, According to the New Living Translation, verse number 8 through verse 17 is the, it's the God's good news. But now there is a change in the tone of the chapter. Because he goes from talking about God's good news to now talking about God's anger at sin. And it is in these next several verses of this chapter that we get a very clear answer as to how we got where we are. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. There is absolutely no single individual that was ever born an atheist. Oh, hallelujah. I told you, I guess we didn't in sort of the typical today. I don't know if your response is confirming it's not the typical or if you're just, I don't know what. No one is born an atheist. You become an atheist. And I'm not saying any by any means this is the only explanation But one of the most common explanations of how someone becomes an atheist is because they go through circumstances in their life that ends up resulting in bitterness and they ask the question, if there really is a God and he really is a good, loving, just God, how could he allow this or how could he do this? And so the way to react or the way to deal with that is to then just simply say, there is no God. But Paul says, and I don't care, and I'll come back to this probably in a little bit. I don't care what the colleges tell us. I don't care what schools tell us. I don't care. Paul says in the Word of God, and again, the Word of God trumps everything, that there is no excuse for not knowing God. The psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Yes, they knew God. They knew God. But they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They would not worship God. They did not acknowledge God. They did not give God thanks. So they began to create their own ideas of God. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. The Message Bible says it this way in verse 21. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. 
they pretended to know it all but were illiterate regarding life. You ever been around somebody that it doesn't matter what the topic is. They are an expert on every topic that comes up. Of course, there really is no such thing, but they know how to pretend. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. Hence the reason I like to read the Message Bible. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes, that there, my friend, is the explanation as to how we got to where we are today because we have communicated to God, we don't want you in our knowledge. We don't want you bothering us. We we don't want you confining and restricting our lives. And we have reached a point where we have communicated that enough to God that he says, I'll tell you what, if that's the way you want it and you don't want me bothering you and you don't want me hassling you, then I'm going to give you a break. But just know there's going to be consequences that come as a result of me freeing you to do whatever you want to do without a guilty conscience. They did not like, the King James says, to retain God in their knowledge. New Living Translation, again, it says that that they created instead of, they created so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. I'll let you in on a little secret if you haven't already gotten it. I, I haven't come here today to preach a political message. And I'll, ultimately, I'm not here to you today to preach to you about the country we're in. I'm just trying to set the hook. Because the idea is to bring it down to home today. How did some of us get to where we are? How are some of us now in the condition that we are in? How of us, how are some of us now believing the things we believe and accepting of the things we used to be against and, and not standing for things that are in the Word of God? How did we get to that point? Because we communicated to God, I don't want to retain you in my knowledge. I, I don't want you bothering me. I don't want you hassling me. I want you to leave me alone to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. And you can reach the point where God says, if that's the way you want it, fine. Anybody here my age or older that you you took algebra algebra or chemistry or physics in high school anybody yeah yeah how frustrating it has been at times for one of my children to come to me dad i need help with my homework what subject is it algebra oh sure i did algebra bring it on they set it down in front of me 
I'm like, I have no idea what this means, what to do. So I sit there for a few moments racking my brain, thinking somehow I got to be one of those people, you know, that pretend to know it all. I'm the dad. Um, um, give me a minute. Just give me just a minute here. Give, give me a minute. And my brain is telling me, you've done this. I, 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 I passed it. I, I, I think I got at least B's. I don't know if I got A's, but I got at least B's. I didn't just squeak by. I did a decent job. And I'm sitting there looking at this, and I'm telling myself, I have done this. I know how to do it, but I have no clue. And finally put my ego to the side enough to say, you're going to have to get somebody else to help you. You need to go talk to your sister. Go talk to your brother. Let them help you. Why? How did I reach that point? Because I didn't like to retain it in my knowledge. I wasn't revisiting algebra on a regular basis. I, I wasn't going back over chemistry and the equations and all of that and, and how to do it. I did not like to retain that in my knowledge. And so as time went on, I put it out of my knowledge to the point now I passed it. I passed it in college, but I pretty much have no clue even how to help a high school student with their algebra one. You know what? I don't know that that's necessarily a tragedy when it comes to algebra and chemistry and geometry and physics. I, I don't know that that's really a big deal, but I've come to tell you today when it comes to the Word of God and you reach the point where you put it out of your knowledge and you haven't retained it and you can't retain it, that is a big deal. Have you ever reached a point, hopefully not with something of, of, of moral significance or, you know, right and wrong per se, but you ever reached a point with your kids trying to get them to do something and finally you're just a forget it. If you're okay for whatever, I, that, I'm not going to keep bothering you. I'm not going to keep mat- nagging you. I know this isn't great parenting. I know, and I don't do it all the time, but, but there are some times I look at the trash and I think, you know what, my boy should take this out and I may have told him and, they forgot, and so I'm like, you know what? I'm not saying it again. I'm just going to do it myself. God, God can come to the point where he's been sitting on next to you, tapping you on. You really shouldn't. That, that's not good. The outcome of that's not going to be very good. The, the results of that are not going to be very good. And I think sometimes we treat God like a fly. Leave me alone. Don't bother me, God. God just... And, and, and the problem, the problem from a human perspective, the problem is God is not a yeller or a screamer. We shouldn't be yellers or screamers, but let's be honest. If you're a parent, if you've never one time raised your voice at your child out of frustration, you I don't know why you're here today. You ought to be in heaven already. But God barely ever, oh, Jesus, God barely ever speaks above a whisper. 
The Bible says the prophet Elijah was running from God and he goes and he hides out in this cave and I may get the order a little wrong, forgive me, but the Bible says he, he comes to the entrance of the cave and there's a, there's this whirlwind, there's this great whirlwind that comes and, and then it says God was not in it. And then there was fire that came, fire from heaven that comes and this great display of fire from nowhere and then it says God was not in it. And then there was an earthquake and there was a shaking that got Elijah's attention. And then the scripture says, God was not in it. And then there was a still small voice. Now it doesn't say God was in it, but after it says of the other three things, God was not in it. And then it says there was a still small voice. It could be added in there and God was in it. So I, I, I challenge somebody today, if you're heading down the path you want to walk, living the way you want to live, and saying, you know what, God's not doing anything, God's not, it may be because he's speaking so quietly, so gently that you're not hearing him, but the chances are he's speaking. You just may have to stop long enough and get rid of the other noise long enough to be able to hear it. It's kind of like that radio most of us had when we were younger. And you had to turn the, there was no turning it directly to 95.1. Boom, you're there. You didn't just turn it to 91.9 and you're there. You had to work the dial. You had to move that thing back and forth a little bit to to tune in. Can I tell somebody today, God offers no digital radios. God has not upgraded to digital radios. He's still back with that old radio where you got to turn the dial. And a lot of times, if you don't get it just right, there are other voices that are talking at the same time. You've got to tune in to hear that voice, but you can also reach the place where you tell him, God, I don't want to hear it. Leave me alone to do my thing my way, and he will finally say, if you don't want me bothering you, then guess what? I won't bother you. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish things and let them do things that should never be done. Oh, Jesus. Weist's translation says that verse this way, God gave them up to a mind that would not meet the test for which that, the test for that, the test for that which a mind was meant. They reach the point that God says, you don't want your mind to work the way I intended for it to work, so guess what? You've convinced me. I'm done. Have it your way. It's a scary thing, folks, when God uses Burger King's motto on you. 
It's not a good day when God gives you the Burger King saying, it's a really bad day when God steps back and says, okay, have it your way. What he's saying is, you have proven to me so much that you don't want me bothering you and you don't want me... You don't want me causing you to consider your ways and, and, and you want me to leave you alone. So have it your way. Verse 29, their lives became full of every kind of wicked sin, of every kind of wickedness. I, I, I want you to, I want you to listen to the next, the next couple of verses here. It's the last couple of verses in the chapter. And again, I read the New Living Translation because some of the words in the King James in these verses are they're old English words, and we don't quite use them as much as they were used, and so we may not understand them. But listen to what listen to listen to what the word of the Lord through Paul is that will happen when God abandons us to do what we want to do. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate. Envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They invent new ways of sinning. We, oh Lord, I think all the little kids are here. We got some teenagers. Or some of these teenagers here, based on the world, unfortunately, they're being raised in. They know more than I do about some things. It's not good enough anymore just to have relations with another person outside of marriage. Fornication, what the Bible calls it. We invent new ways, so now we incorporate technology. I just heard, they told it as if it was fact, truth, and so I'm trusting that. I was listening to 95.1 on Friday. I think it was Friday. Timothy and I were riding in the car. We were at men's conference. And they were talking, this kid, the, 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 the host at that point, he was talking about the fact that sometimes he just stays home to watch church online, his church streams. And so he just stays home. It's easier. It's more convenient. So... That's not why we stream, just in case you missed that memo. But he said there's this there's this church. Again, told it like it was not just fake, real. That virtual church, and they will assign you an avatar, and that avatar can get baptized in colorful pixelated water for you. I'm just going to tell you right now. When this book talks about being baptized, it wasn't sitting in your living room with your virtual headset on watching an avatar do it for you. It was talking about you, whether it's a baptistry, whether it's a creek or a pond or whatever it is, a bathtub, a whirlpool. I don't care what it is, but it was talking about you getting wet, messing up your hair, going all the way under and doing it in person in real life. 
We have invented all kinds of new ways to sin. I'm just going to tell you right now, there are great, um, how much more time do I have? There are great benefits to technology. I'm thankful for tech. I'm thankful for some things technology has blessed us ministry wise to be able to do. But let me tell you something today. Technology can never replace physical interaction with each other and physical interaction as a body with the spirit of God. If you're sick or you've got something going on and you can't get to church, I'm glad you can log on. But if you've got the ability to get to church but you just decide it's more convenient to stay in your pajamas and sit on the couch and watch it online, that's not what it's for. And I'm going to tell you, you will never get there what you will get in the presence of God with other people. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. Any of you, any of you, again, I get some of you in your 60s, 70s, 80s here today. Any of you look around sometimes and think, what I would have never dreamed of seeing something like that. I would have never, why? Because somebody turned God off and God said, have it your way. And the problem is what you're doing is never enough. The Bible says, here we, here we go. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll just tell you, I, I was going to read all of this in Corinthians, but I'll just, I'll just skip to the main part and, and, and read it later. I was going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 25, but I'm just going to read verse 25 for the sake of time. Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And the context of that is an unmarried man should not be touching an unmarried woman. The reason is, is because the Greek word there for touch means to light a fire. It's common based on the wisdom of the world. I I actually heard a couple guys talking playing racquetball a couple of months ago, and one guy was talking about, and, and this is one of those things that used to, parents look down on this, but he was talking about, whatever. He, he was talking about his son and, and at that point, future daughter-in-law who had been living together for several years, and he said, you know, I think it makes sense just to you know, kind of try it on for a little while. You take a car out for a test drive. You, you know, you go try, try to drive a new car. You go walk through a house before you buy it, right? But let me tell you something. A human being is not an object. And according to this book, you don't take a female for a test drive, fellas, if she's not yours. And you don't take him for a test drive if he's not yours. The Bible, the Bible, oh, Lord, I told you this is not typical Sunday morning, but... I'm in it. So the Bible calls it fornication. And the Bible tells us fornication is a sin. And so as a church, here we go. You want to talk about some foolishness of this world. We teach. We teach that if you are dating, if you're not married, you should not touch. Now, I know that is, isn't that crazy? I mean, come on, don't sit there and humor me. That I'm telling you. 
I'm not baiting you. I'm telling you. That's crazy. In 2019, I'm going to stand as the pastor of this church and tell young people, if you're dating, keep your hands off of each other. Because the world, the wisdom of the world says, the wisdom of the world says, do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy. Why? Because you know what? The most common God, oh, Lord, the most common God most of us have created It's not an idol. It's not an object. Most of us, the biggest God we've created that he created, that was a creation of his hands is ourselves. And and, and so the reason Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman because the word touch there means to light a fire. I, this is going to be embarrassing. I'm going to be a little bit embarrassed telling this because it's going to sound like really just goofy, silly, whatever. I, I remember those first couple of times that I just sort of accidentally bumped into my, who is now my wife, my girlfriend, at the time. And it was like, man, I just plugged into an outlet with I just stuck a screwdriver. Man, wow. <laughs> and then, and then, man, whew. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I long past the point of being, oh, Lord. Timothy and Elizabeth, y'all can leave for five minutes, come back. I have long passed the point where I am satisfied by an accidental touch. Because that reached the point where there was no longer any electricity flowing when an accidental touch happened. And I had to move to the next step. And that lasted for a little while, but then that wasn't good enough. I don't... Oh, boy. If you're a guest today... I promise you, this is not normal Sunday morning diet. <laughs> Here we are. I I struggle greatly with two people getting engaged and being engaged for a couple of years. Because if you're engaged and you can make it a couple of years, keeping your hands to yourself, You're engaged to the wrong person. If y'all can be engaged and just stay to yourselves, you need somebody messed up big time. You got the wrong person. So if you're engaged for a long time, and you got the right person, you're probably hiding some stuff. Oh, Lord, have, how, in the, how in the world, how in the world am I in here today? You, if you don't have enough fire, 
for some temptation when you get engaged, you ain't got enough fire to keep you married. And I'm just going to tell you, while I'm all on it now, I'll just tell you, you you, you young people, you young adults, listen to me. I believe, I, I, I can't sit down and give you all kind of verses and scriptures. I can tell you from personal experience, I believe that when two people that are trying to live according to the Word of God and do things God's way, and therefore you take the step of marriage to be very serious, and you take a relationship of marriage to be very serious, I believe that when you take the step of engagement, there is something that changes in that relationship because you're not doing that frivolously you're not doing that lightly hopefully you've done that after much prayer and time considering God is this the right one and I'm just going to tell you the challenge that I had of keeping my hands to myself pre-engagement was much different because there's part of me that thinks well you're going to be mine so don't work that way. Oh, my Lord, let me see if I can find my way back. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> they refuse, verse 31, Romans 1, they refuse to, under, they refuse to understand. They refuse to understand. It's not that they can't. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless and have no mercy. Is there anybody that would argue with me that verse 29, 30, and 31 are an absolutely perfect description of the world we are living in today? Verse 32. This this is what's amazing. They know God's judgment or justice, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they uh, they encourage others to do them too. They take pleasure in others doing them as well. They not only do them, but they encourage others to do them. Is that not the world we are in in 2019, where we not only have people that take pleasure in doing what violates God's word, but they also like to encourage others to be involved in it. The Message Bible says in that last verse, they give away rewards or prizes to those that mess up the best. That's a little bit of a paraphrase. We celebrate, we celebrate those who do the best job at violating the Word of God. We celebrate them. The scary thing is when there's those of us that know the consequences and yet we ignore it and we do them anyway. How? How did the world get there? But How did us as individuals get there in some of our lives? Because we communicated to God. How does a person who has sat in an apostolic service and spoken in other tongues 
not made up, not forced, not produced, spoken in other tongues and firmly believed that what they did was a supernatural thing. How do they go from that point to then denying the very existence of God, not denying the experience, just the experience, but denying that there's even a God because they did not like to retain him and their knowledge. And he finally says, if you don't want me there, I'm done. Have at it. Do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. I'm going to leave you alone to just enjoy it all. But just know, the wages of sin is, is, is. Not might be, not possibly, but the wages of sin is death. Hebrews tells us there's pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in sin. Unfortunately, that's not all there is to the verse. Because it goes on to say there is pleasure in sin, but it is for a season. A season. Anybody here, summer's your favorite season? Anybody? A couple of hands. How many of you, spring is your favorite season? I got really bad news for you. It's almost over. And it don't matter how much you like spring, it's over. Doesn't matter if it's your absolute favorite time of the year, it's over. If you like summertime and that's your favorite, I got good news for you today. Give it a couple more days. It's almost here. Just hang on a few more days. It's about to be here. But I got bad news for you. You better enjoy it while it lasts because fall is on the way. It will come. It will come because it only lasts for a season. I, I, I realize you may be in a longer season than somebody else. You may be in the season of pleasure longer than others have been in the season of pleasure, but according to the Word of God, that season will change. So what is, for you and I, the antidote to not retaining God in our knowledge? What, what is the antidote for us to not giving in to the ways of this world? What is the antidote for us to not coming under the, 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 the pressure that it is foolishness to believe this book? That it's foolishness to live your life based on what this book says? Psalms 1 gives us one of those answers. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And when you meditate day and night in the law of the Lord, you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither in whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way 
of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you will delight yourself in the law of the Lord, you say that sounds cumbersome. That that sounds overbearing to delight myself in the law of the Lord. You, You got it all wrong. It is everything but that. Psalm 119 and verse 9, the psalmist says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How is it do I resist from becoming like this world? and not retaining God I make up my mind I'm not just going to put what the preacher says on Sunday morning in my heart I'm not just going to put what I hear on Sunday night or Thursday night but I am going to hide it for myself in my own heart because when I do that I will take the right course of action I've hid your words so that I might not sin you. Most of you, if I were to invite you to my house today, if it was 15 years or so ago, I would tell you the directions and you would write them down. Now most of you would plug it into your phone or the GPS in your car. But either way, if you're trying to get there and you've never been there and you're trying to listen to the directions or read the directions or you're trying to look at the road and see which turn you're supposed to take, you are not the safest driver on the road. You are distracted. When I leave here and go get something to eat and then I head home, no matter where I head home from after eating today, I will not put anything in my GPS. I will not plug the address in. I don't need to write it down because I know the way to take. Why? Because it's here. You know why so many people stumble and fall in their walk with God? Because all they're doing is trying to use a GPS where they plug the address into. You need to go beyond plugging in a destination into a GPS and you need to get it in here so that in here there is the direction. Turn here. Go there. Don't go there. Don't go here. Do this. Do that. It's inside. And when it's inside, I will not sin against you. Psalm 119 and verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word. Thy word. Thy word. Not Facebook, not Instagram, not Twitter, not not the newspaper, not CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, not Hollywood, not any of those other, not pop culture. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is going to be the thing, the only thing that sets my course and directs me where I'm going and how to get there. I'm going to make up my mind, God, the last thing I want is you out of my mind. What I want is you to fill my mind. What I want you to do is fill my spirit, not only with your spirit, but I want your word to be on the inside of me so that I will know how to walk. I'll know how to live. I'll know what to do. 
Last verse, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 26, talking about a glorious church, that the Lord would sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water by the Word. The washing of water by the Word. It is the Word of God that washes my mind. It is the Word of God that clears my my vision. It is the Word of God that allows me to think clearly and see clearly. Washed by the washing of water by the Word. What I preach today, in fact, hopefully, hopefully what I preach every time I preach, according to the world, is foolishness. I actually hope that everything I preach, everything I teach, I hope every single thing from the world's perspective is foolishness. Because Paul says the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom foolishness of God surpasses the wisdom of men. Are you here today and if you're willing to be honest with yourself and with Jesus, would you would you have to acknowledge, you know what, I I've been trying at least in some situations, maybe not in every area, but I, I've been trying at least in some situations to put God out, out of my mind. There are people been raised in the church and then they go a different direction and they, they then refer to everything they used to believe and everything they used to do as just being brainwashed. I beg to differ. I beg to differ with that. I would argue that at one point there was genuine, sincere, personal conviction. But the more you tell God, I don't want to retain you in my knowledge. I don't want you messing up my life, God. I don't want you I don't want you constricting what I can do and how I can live and I don't want that. The more God says, okay, okay, okay. I'm I'm not going to keep bothering you. I'm not going to keep hassling you. I'm not going to keep convicting you. I'm I'm just going to let you do what you want to do and have it your way. I believe in this place today, you and I have access 
to be washed by the Word. Are you in a marriage today that's struggling? In a marriage that's perhaps even falling apart? If you would allow the Word to wash you today. There's things in this Word that tell me the kind of husband I need to be and help my wife with the kind of wife she needs to be. There's there's things in this book that tell me about the kind of father I need to be in my children and and, and, and even as a even as a preacher, even as a pastor, I will tell you every now and then, I, I need to get washed. I need to get washed by the Word. I need my mind to be renewed. I need my spirit. David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. I ask you to stand. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do a little different today than normal. Most of the time, at this point, an invitation to come and pray is somewhat to a narrow group. I want to do it different today. I want to give an invitation to every person in this place. I don't care what you're, I, I don't care if you're a leader here, if you're in ministry here, if you've been here for 50 years. I, I don't I don't care if this is your very first time or your first couple of times. I, I want to give an invitation that every person in this place that would right now, would you, would you step out of your seat, come down to this altar, and could we today as an entire body, Ask the Lord today, not just a couple of individuals, but all of us today. God, I want to be washed by the Word. God, if I am, if I'm in any way, if there is any way in which I am communicating to you, God, that I don't want you bothering me, I I don't want you convicting me, I don't want you dealing, if there is any element of that at all at all God even the slightest bit I I want you to renew my mind I want you to renew my heart today would you just make that your prayer if you're a guest I'm not inviting you right now to join a church this isn't an invitation to join a church if 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 you want to be a part of us it it absolutely we'd love to have you but this is this is bigger than a church this is bigger than church membership. That's not the that's not the point of the invitation. But you just begin in your own ways. It doesn't have to be eloquent. You say, preacher, I, I don't really know what to say. It doesn't have to be anything eloquent, just in your own your own words, your own way, God. I want your word to be in my heart. I I want your word to be in my heart. I don't want to push your word out of my heart. I want your word to fill my heart. I I want your word to be in my mind. I don't want to be pushing your word out of my mind. I want your word to fill my mind. God, I don't want to... I don't want to live in a way that I push you out so much that one day I reach the point and I ask the question about myself. How did I get here? How did I get here? And for the simple explanation of that to be the fact that I just 
continue to push you out of my knowledge, out of my mind. Somebody, somebody make a fresh commitment to the Lord today. God, I'm going to hide your word in my heart. I'm going to fill my mind. I'm going to fill my heart with your word. I'm not going to let the words of this world. I'm I'm not going to let the words of my teacher. I'm not going to let the words of my professor. I'm not going to let the words of media. I'm not going to let the words of politician. I'm not going to let the words of the news. I'm not going to let the words on social media be what fills my heart. But I want your word to be what is hid in my heart. There's life. There's life. There's life in your word. In fact, God, that's the only source of true life. The temptation from the enemy is that if I will release myself from your word, if I will get free from your word, I I will then know what life is all about. And That's one of the greatest deceptions the enemy gives us, God, because the only true life is found in you. The only true life comes through your spirit, through your word. In the name of Jesus. Why don't you just reach over to somebody nearby you right now, join a hand, put a hand on the shoulder. Let's just, let's just, in addition to praying for ourselves this morning, can we just pray one for another right now? God, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters today, God. I pray, God, that you would help my brothers and sisters today. God, that we would all be washed by your word. That our thinking would be made right. That our thinking would be brought into alignment with your word. We don't want to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And we don't want to stand in the the way of the scornful. We don't want to sit in the seat of the scornful. We want to delight in your law. We want our delight to be in your law. As the psalmist said, let it be what we meditate on day and night. The wonderful truths of your word. The wonderful truths that lead us to life that come only from your word. Oh God, help us today. We can't fix the world, God. We can't fix the world, but we can fix ourselves by aligning ourselves with you. We may not be able to change the course of the world around us, but we can definitely change the course that our individual lives are on by recommitting, rededicating ourselves to the truth of your word, that your word, your word alone is going to be the lamp to my feet, the light to my path. Your word is going to be what guides me. Your word is going to be what gives the direction to my life. It's not going to be what culture says. It's not going to be what the popular opinion of the day may be. It's not going to be based on the political climate of the world I'm in, God. But I'm going to let your word be what leads me and guides me, what orders my steps. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 I want to love. I want to love your word. I want to love your truth, God. I want to love your truth. The truth that is the way and the life. The truth that is the source. In the name of Jesus.
the name of Jesus, wash us today by your word. Wash us today by your word, Lord. Wash us today by your word. Cleanse us today by your word. Give us right thinking today based on your word. Let our steps be ordered by you and by your word, Lord. In the name of Jesus. 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 I I don't really know that ultimately my personal opinion is I I don't know that you can really say that necessarily any age group has it worse than another. Every age group, every season of life, it's, it's got its own challenges and influences. So that being said, whether it's more difficult or not, the bottom line is it is very challenging the world that you teenagers and young adults are being raised in today. The messages that are being bombarded on your mind from every direction. You no longer sit in a school classroom to learn how to do reading, writing, and arithmetic. You're now told about Options for gender and acceptable alternative lifestyles, etc., etc. I beg every one of you teenagers, every one of you young adults today, there's only one path. There's only one path that leads to genuine life. Yes, eternal life, but I don't even mean that right now. I'm talking about life. There's only one path that leads to genuine, fulfilling life. And I know you've got a lot of voices that tell you what you may hear today is complete foolishness. In fact, I would venture to say there's probably a few teenagers and young adults here today you're even at this moment in a battle of whether or not you're even believing there really is a God anymore. And if you still believe there is a God, you're probably in a struggle believing what actually is the truth about that God. I promise you today, those questions and that confusion did not come from here. It came from voices around you. And if you will decide that this is the path for my life, then as the psalmist said, you will be like a tree planted by the water. And there will be things that come and things that blow through in your life, but you will remain firm. Ever seen a picture of a palm tree and a hurricane? The top of that palm tree can literally be leaning over, touching the ground with the top of it. When the wind stops, 
The storm passes through. It goes right back. I can promise you there's going to be some days in your life where the wind is blowing you almost over, where the wind is pushing you every direction, but the challenge is to do what the Apostle Paul said, and that is having done all to stand. Stand. And if you will plant your feet on the foundation of the Word of God, there's going to be a lot of things that blow by. There's going to be a lot of things that come and go, but when it's all said and done, you'll still be standing strong, and you'll still have life and life more abundantly. Father, I pray again that this would not just be a sermon that filled time in this service. God, I am asking you that somehow this message today about your word would be solidified in our hearts, our minds, our spirits. That it would produce in our lives what it is you desire for it to produce. Lord, I rebuke the devourer that would try to come and steal the seed that has been sown today before it has the ability to take root and produce. I come against the devourer in the name of Jesus Christ. Let this seed, let this word be sealed in every heart, every mind, every spirit in this place today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you so much for your responsiveness this morning. Again, if you're a guest today, thank you so much for being with us. And we hope to see you again another time. God bless you. Shake hands with somebody. Greet somebody. If you don't know them, introduce yourself.